This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and these guys have been working hard on the top 100 draft prospects list, which is out now uh, for the 2024 draft class. We're going to dig into that. Uh, We're going to talk to the player who's at the very top of that list. The number one draft prospect in this year's class is J.J. Weatherholt. Giving it away right off the top. He's going to join us uh, a little bit later on, and then we're going to talk about the spring breakout, uh, inaugural spring breakout event, which was announced last week, and we'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag, guys, should I? Did I just blow it? I just gave away the number one draft class. Everybody's already the spoiler alert. It's been list, out list has been out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, if you're if you're listening, a decent chance you know. Yeah. So we previewed this list a bit last week by talking about the top tools in the draft class. So surely some of those guys will be talking about again this week, since uh, typically the top tools kind of translate pretty neatly to the top prospects in the class, but uh, talk about, give us a little breakdown of the list, overall impressions, trends that you guys uh, gathered as you were putting this thing together. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's super college heavy, uh, especially at the, at the top. Yeah, we'll, we'll break down the top 10 a little bit here, but nine of the top 10 are college guys, uh, college bats, the smallest amount of high school players in the top 20 that we've ever had. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a college heavy class. I do think that there's some depth in the high school pitching, like a little bit later on and depending on how they perform in the spring, whether they rise up to, you know, first round status or comp second, the third round guys who, you know, get paid not to go to honor their commitments to college remains to be seen. But you know, at least at the at the very, very top, if you're looking for an advanced college hitter, you're going to be able to find one. Yeah, and it, it's an interesting draft class. And we talked, I think, last week about how, you know, last year we had an abundance of riches at the very top with Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford and Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, all of whom I think would be slam dunk the top prospect in this year's draft if they were in it. We don't We don't have that guy who's, just screaming number one pick. There are a lot of college hitters. It's interesting. You know, we'll talk to, to JJ Weatherhold a little bit later, but all the top college hitters, it's a lot of first baseman, corner guys, second baseman as opposed to shortstops. You know, JJ is trying to make the transition to shortstop this year. So it's, it's more bat over all around tool profile with a lot of those guys. The college pitchers are an interesting class because you have a couple polished guys like Josh Hartle at Wake Forest or Drew Beam at Tennessee. But the college pitching class, it's a lot of, this guy's got a really good arm, but he needs to make these adjustments or throw more strikes. Like It seems like the college pitchers, I feel like, have the top college pitchers as a whole have more to prove than in typical years. I know when I did 
I mean, I'm not going to claim that I nailed the, the, the mock first round, but I did a first round projection. And just to reflect what we're talking about, the first six guys in that mock draft were college hitters. Nine of the top 11 picks were college hitters. I do think we'll see some college pitchers push their way up. The ones who do prove what they have to prove or what teams hope they prove will move up because they're always in demand. But I think we're going to see an extremely college heavy first round. And, and Jonathan, I feel like on the high school side, you kind of touched on this. I do think there's a lot of interesting pitchers. Now teams are usually leery of taking pitchers, college pitchers. I mean, I'm sorry, high school pitchers in the first round, but I feel like the high school pitching class compared to what the standard is, is better than the high school hitter class this year. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's kind of deep. Now there may not be a guy who, jumps into the top of the draft like like a Jackson Job or you know Clayton Kershaw years ago. I, I don't know that any of the high school arms are going to end up in the in the top 10, but I do think some of them could emerge if they pitch well in the spring and end up more firmly in the first round or again even if they don't go in first round proper but get first round money. Uh, to me it's the same sort of thing in terms of how they're evaluated talent wise, but I do think there are some interesting guys. I mean, when we were writing up the top 100 and, you know, we won't make any qualms. Last year's draft class was, was better than this one, or it seems so at this point, but the prep arms that I was writing up towards the back end of the list were still really interesting to me, like some interesting, intriguing combinations of stuff and some feel for pitching, a lot of projection. So if they take those steps forward, that could become, if not a strength of this class, but a, an interesting crop to choose from. So the fact that this class is so college bat heavy at the top, I mean, from what you guys are saying here and from what we've talked about, it's maybe unprecedented. Why? I just think it's cyclical, to be honest with you. It's just different classes have different strengths. I don't think... This is any fallout. You know, last year, one of the themes was that there were a lot of good high school players who might have signed out of high school, but the pandemic limited the draft to five rounds and you couldn't move money around as much and you could only sign so many high school players and more guys went to college. I just think this is kind of the way it played out. I mean, Jonathan, I'll let you talk about your guys at the top of the draft, but, you know, the guys from my half of the country, you know, we'll talk about these guys a little bit more in depth. Like just going from the top, you know, Nick Hurts from Wake Forest. Guys knew who he was in high school, but he had some injury issues. He was a first baseman. You, you typically let high school first baseman go to college. Charlie Condon was a preferred walk-on at Georgia. Um, Vance Honeycutt was athletic, and all the North Carolina area guys will tell you they missed on him. But he was playing football that year because at, coming out of the pandemic, I believe North Carolina's football season was in the spring, and guys just didn't bear down on Vance Honeycutt. Tommy White hit the ball as hard as about any high school player in the country and start the combine, but he was a probable first baseman. You know, Seaver King was a kind of underdeveloped physically guy. So it wasn't like there's any re like, like there was any overarching theme as to why these guys wound up in college. It's just, they did and they got back. I think it's just a cyclical year and the college bats are dominant. And I also think they look dominant because I don't think any of the other demographic is particularly strong so it makes the college bats look even stronger all right well jim was kind of roughly uh 
counting down the order there. Let's count up. Let's uh, let's count them down from. Let's start at number twelve because that's where the run of college bats uh, ends. There are the the first twelve on the list are all hitters, all but one a college bat. Uh, number twelve is Stanford catcher Malcolm Moore. Number eleven, Mike Sirota of Northeastern outfielder. Braden Montgomery is number ten, one of two players in the top ten. Uh, listed as a two-way player, outfielder, and right-hander at Texas A&M. Seaver King, who Jim just mentioned, outfielder slash shortstop from Wake Forest. Connor Griffin, number eight, out of Jackson Prep in Mississippi. Tommy White, uh, aforementioned by Jim, LSU third baseman Vance Honeycutt, uh, the tooled-up outfielder from North Carolina. And then we get into the top five, and let's break these guys down uh, a little bit more. Number five, somebody that we're... Pretty familiar with already, guys. Yeah, Jack Caglione is uh, is fascinating uh, for a whole host of reasons. You know, he's huge. He's six foot five. He's physical. He's left handed, and he is legitimately a two way player. Now, the industry right now prefers him as a hitter. He was the John Olerud Award winner last year as the best two way player in, in college baseball. The power is ridiculous. He had 33 homers last year. You know, he does chase a little bit, but he doesn't strike out a ton. So, I, you know, it's power over hit, but he's going to get to that power. Now, on the mound, I think what makes it kind of interesting is he's got, you know, a 70 fastball. Uh, you know, this is a guy who touches triple digits. He's got a new cutter uh, that he started throwing more than a, his slider this fall. He's got a decent changeup, and he had Tommy John surgery, so he's only pitched the one year. So I think people like the bat more. There's probably a little more certainty that that's going to play because he had trouble throwing strikes. But he's another year removed from Tommy John surgery. I'm very curious to find out what happens if he comes out and is more effective as a starting pitcher if that pendulum is going to shift at all. I still think people will lean towards the the bat, and he's as high as he is because of the power potential. But because of the the surgery and him putting that further in his rearview mirror, it's not as clear-cut as it might seem like it is right now. Yeah, and you know, and I think, too, is, is if, if – if when he gets into pro ball, they make him pick one way, Jonathan, it's always, you, you can't lose at bats. It's hard to lose at bats and then come back and hit later. You know, Rick Ankiel's an exception. It's always easier. I think to see what the guys is a hitter. And if that doesn't pan out and then we try him on the mound. Right. I, 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 do you think that, do you think whoever drafts him lets him play both ways? And obviously we have to see how this spring plays out, but like if the draft were today and somebody drafted him, do you think they would let him develop two ways? Like, Cause personally, I think they shouldn't because I think he needs polish in both areas and I would have him focus on one, but are you getting any sense from talking to people that, yeah, we'll let this guy explore both or we'll let him hit and, and then go on. Yeah. I haven't, I, I haven't dug that deep yet just because we're so far away. And I, I think that if he comes out and pitches the way he did last year, then no one, he's not going to pitch, you know, until the hitting doesn't work to your point. So I think we need to see what happens. I, I don't have any sense of him, you know, whether or not he, he must be a two-way guy or he wants to do, you know, only wants to do one. You know, often I think these guys want to hit for as long as they can. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a team wants to take him in the top four or five picks and says, 
you know, we want you to hit. And I don't know that he'd have a problem with that. Well, number four on our list is another SEC slugger, Charlie Condon of Georgia. So you guys know I'm, I'm obviously very enthused as a proud Georgia alum to have a Bulldog uh, this high on the list. And you know, one of the questions I had when we were putting this list together is like, why didn't this guy play as a freshman? He was redshirted in 2022. He was national freshman of the year last year. He hit 386. He led the SEC in slugging at 800, tied an SEC record for freshmen with 25 homers. And basically, the, the the story I found out was he was on the same high school team as Gino Groover, who was a, an early draft pick last year out of NC State. Groover was a year ahead of him, and but he was kind of physically under undeveloped, underdeveloped in high school, and so he really didn't attract that much attention. Georgia came in late and offered him a spot as a preferred walk on, and he went to Georgia. And in the fall of twenty one, his freshman fall practice, he was the best hitter on the team. But they committed playing time to a number of older players who had come back, and they just didn't have a spot in the lineup for him. And then last year, obviously, he went off and, and tore it up when he played. And, you know, what I like about him is I don't think it's hit over power or power over hit. I think it's plus hit plus power. He has huge raw power, uses the whole field, trolls the strike zone. Scouts kind of marvel his ability to not quite get all of the pitch and yet still drive it out of the park. Even though he's a bigger guy, he's got a relatively compact swing for a six foot six guy. And he's going to enhance his defensive profile a little bit this year, too. He played first last year. He actually played all over the place in the fall. He played some center, he played some third. Those I don't think are realistic, but he does move well enough. I think he can play either outfield corner. He throws well enough to maybe play right field. So you're, you know, I was saying before how there's a lot of potential first baseman in the top, even, you know, 10 picks. Between, you know, I mentioned Nick Kurtz earlier, but, you know, Condon played first, Caglione plays first, I think Tommy White LSU winds up at first. I think he actually has a better chance than all those guys to play a position other than first base, even if it is, it won't be up the middle, but it will be an outfield corner. So, Jason, you were asking the, the sort of why question, why so many college bats? And our number three guy, the, the simple answer for him is that he wasn't in this country. Uh, Travis Bazana from Oregon State is our number three from Australia. And so obviously wasn't eligible for uh, for the draft. I guess he could have signed as an international player, but I don't think there was much interest. And all he has done is hit since he got to Oregon State. Actually, the summer before he played in the West Coast League and, and hit 429 there as an 18 year old hit well uh, in 2022 as a freshman at Oregon State. Then last year. An OPS over 1,100. He had 11 homers. He stole 36 bases and 39 tries. Then continued to raise that profile by winning uh, Cape Cod League MVP honors over the summer. Again, an OPS over 1,000. Uh, hit for average. Drew a ton of walks. Uh, power, speed, 14 steals, six homers in 33 games there. Jim sort of talked about you know the, sort of the weird profiles of some of these guys. He's a second baseman only. And there are some who aren't sure how good he's going to be there. I talked to enough scouts in the area who think he's fine. You know, he runs well. Uh, he's got enough range. He'll be a fine, albeit offensive-minded second baseman who has a chance to hit for power and, and steal some bases. But the profile is a little bit limited just because of the second base. You don't typically see second baseman this high on the list, but the hit and power and speed. Uh, and left, you know, he's a left-handed hitter to boot, uh, all 
put him rightfully in this spot. And then you're continuing the, the chain of college hitters as we count down to number one. You know, Nick Kurtz of Wake Forest, first baseman. Interesting fact about him is he was initially recruited when Wake Forest started to get on him as a left-handed pitcher. Um, he won a couple of state championships at the Baylor School in Chattanooga, which is where uh, Ray's supplemental first-rounder Cooper Kinney came out of a couple of years ago. They were teammates. Um, he just became a better prospect as a hitter over the course of time. Hit 39 homers. You know, I think his ops is around 1,200 his first two college seasons. Had a, a broken rib, so he missed the end of the College World Series when they got knocked out by LSU, but he was a big part of that Wake team that went to the semifinals and played the classic semifinal game that went 11 innings against LSU. Um, you know, and his best tool, I think he's the best power hitter in the draft. We talked about that for best tools last week. And he's got, he's got everything you want for a power hitter. It's bat speed, it's strength, it, it, it's a left-handed stroke with, with good launch in it. But, you know, the power is going to stand out the most, but he's much more than just a power hitter. He's a complete hitter. I don't think there's a weakness. He hits lefties, he hits righties, he's successful against all types of pitches. He controls the strike zone. There's tremendous plate coverage. He hits the ball hard all over the ballpark. And while he's a first base only, he's a plus first baseman. And we're not talking, say, Evan White first baseman. I'm thinking of, of great draft defensive first baseman. But it's a definite plus first base. So, like, again, you wish that maybe he played a little more challenging position. But that bat is so good, I don't think it's going to matter. And he's going to be an asset defensively at first base. So very exciting guy. And, you know, the interesting thing with him is, I mean, Wake could have five first-round picks. You know, when we were counting down the top 12, Jason, you mentioned Seaver King. The top pitcher on our list is Josh Hartle, who I mentioned as being extremely polished. And then they've also got Chase Burns, who has, you know, he can hit 100 miles an hour with his fastball and has a wipeout slider. He's got to prove that he can keep the fastball off barrels and throw more strikes. He's really interesting. And then they have another right-hander, Michael Massey, who was their setup man last year, who's got like an unhittable fastball and a power slider. And he's making the transition to the rotation. So we could have five Wake Forest first-round picks, and the record for any school in the single draft is three. So that'll be something to watch over the spring. All right, guys. Excellent breakdown of these top 10 draft prospects. Very good. But why don't we let number one break himself down? We'll talk to West Virginia infielder J.J. Weatherholt coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, as if we don't have enough J names on the podcast today, we're going we're gonna to invite someone in that's got two J's, J.J. Weatherholt. And J.J., thanks a lot for joining us. As you, you probably know, we're having you on today because we're talking about our new Top 100 Draft Prospects list. and you are at the very top of that. Again, thanks for joining us. What, what do you think? Number one overall uh, draft prospect headed into the 2024 draft. Is that something that you ever, you know, back when you were uh, at, at Mars High School coming out and had a few few schools looking at you, 
Is that something that you ever could have dreamed of? Or did you have, did you have such ambitions at that point? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, growing up, I had the ambitions to play pro ball, but that was kind of the extent. I didn't really care how it happened. I just kind of wanted to play pro ball. Um, as I got deeper into college, it was, you know, become more like a reality. So, um, you know, you get those thoughts of trying to be a, you know, top-round pick and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's just getting the opportunity to play at the next level for me. So that's that's the dream, and, um, you know, that's what I'm focusing on and working towards. JJ, you know, uh, I'm a Pittsburgh guy too, uh, so we'll, we'll get to some some Pittsburgh-focused questions in a little bit. But I want to ask, you know, coming into high school, and there have been some some good players who've, who've come out over, over the years, but what was the process in terms of how you ended up at West Virginia? Were there a lot of other teams that, that were interested? Did you want to stay somewhat local, at least regionally? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of cool. So um, originally I became a West Virginia football fan. I played football growing up quit about like middle school high school but I was kind of like a smaller quit guy so I fell in love with Tavon Austin of all people so that's kind of where that came from and then uh just I wanted to play baseball division one my dream school was honestly Kent State which is kind of random but my dad graduated from there um so that was like a good stepping stone for me I wanted to get there and then so they started talking to me and then Pitt started talking to me but really the forerunner was West Virginia they were the first one to offer me I committed a couple like a month or so after the offer um, it was just, it was a good offer. It was close to home. I really liked the coaches, the campus, um, you know, pretty much everything about the school. It had my major, which is finance. So, and the biggest thing too is, especially because college baseball players don't get the super high scholarships like other sports, um, my academic money that I would get would be really good. So I knew that school would kind of be um, inexpensive to go to. So all the stars were kind of aligning and, and made that jump pretty quick. It was right at the beginning, like my sophomore year. But yeah, at the time, it was really just phone calls with Pitt and Kent State and then the offer from West Virginia. JJ, Jim Callis here. How much did the quality of, I don't know if it's competition if they're your teammates, but like your high school team, I think, had four other Division One players on it, including a yeah. future College World Series MVP and first-round pick and Will Bednar. I guess, one, did you realize how talented your teammates were at the time? And two, how much you know going against those guys you know on a daily basis do you think helped you? before you got to college baseball? It was, it was a huge help. I mean, especially to Will's dad was the coach. So um, obviously he, he kind of knew what he was doing. So that was really advantageous for us. But I mean, just being around those type of guys and it expands to the college level. Um, you go from being around four of them to everybody you're with is a, is a big time player. So that's, that's great. But yeah, at the high school level, I was just lucky to be around guys that were hungry and wanted to, um, you know, play in the, in the bigs and play college at the next level and were good enough to do so. So it motivated me and kind of taught me at a young age, like I got to work hard because these guys are working hard. And it was, you know, we had our like inner competitions, just trying to be as good as each other, trying to be better, pushing each other. And so it was a great process and I'm definitely super thankful for it. JJ, um, no, no period between the J's in your name. I'm, and we're, we're not going to get into that because Jim has some very strong feelings about. Uh, <laughs> very about, strong. Too very strong. strong. Yeah, so we we don't have time to get into that, uh, but I do. I, I want to go back. Uh, I want to go back to your early days of playing baseball. I read that you're actually a natural right hander, and that when you were si- around six years old, you saw your older brother, who uh, also a college baseball player, uh, taking lefty swings, and that led you to hit left-handed. And now you've developed one of the sweetest left-handed swings uh, in in college baseball. How how did that all come about? I, re- I read that you said that you're right eye dominant. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, which is kind of weird. Cause I mean, they say you want your like lead eye hitting forward. So for me, that's my right eye, but it helps that I'm a lefty cause that's my lead eye facing the pitcher. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so, like I, I 
apparently this is all for my dad, obviously, because I don't remember when I was that age. But when I first picked up like the, the bat and T-balls and that stuff, I was always going righty. Um, but me being the younger sibling, like you want to just copy your brother, basically, and he hit lefty. So I flipped it around, I guess, and just started hitting lefty. It's it's kind of funny for the longest time, all my metrics, like bat speed and exit below, off, like that stuff was faster righty. And then it just, I didn't have like the same coordination though. So, so we stuck with the lefty and uh, that's kind of how it came to be, but it's a cool story. That explains why, uh, why not the switch hitting, I guess you realized yeah. that uh, the metrics sort of caught up left-handed and, and you didn't have the coordination right-handed. Exactly. I, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, JJ, just, you know, you, you got off to a good start at West Virginia and then last year was, um, I think the technical term is bonkers what you did i mean did you get a chance at the end of the year to kind of look back and be like wow okay like i checked off i I don't know if there were any other boxes you could have checked off especially offensively what clicked and then how much fun was it for you to kind of keep going and you know the the summer included team usa and 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 a stop on the cape which only helped enhance sort of your profile heading into this big 2024 yeah, I mean, it was a great year. I think, like, the biggest thing that clicked is honestly just the experience. Uh, it's it's a big deal. I was super fortunate to play pretty much every game freshman year. Um, started from day one, which is which is amazing. And I think, you know, just being a freshman, you're sometimes trying to do too much. You're not as comfortable as the other guys. You're just you're new to the scene. It's tough. You get a lot of stuff thrown at you first year. Um, so that was some stuff that I kind of struggled handling and dealing with. And I think after freshman year, kind of, looked back and, you know, had a good year and I was happy the way that it went, but I knew that there was like more in there somewhere. Um, so I went to the Northwoods league out in Wisconsin, played for the Mallards, um, and kind of found a way to just like let it loose, started swinging a little bit harder, um, trying to have more fun in the plate, just trying to do something cool every time I was at the plate, uh, which is something I didn't do during that school year. During the school year was more of a battle of me trying not to get out. So that was something, it was like a mentality switch and it just came from experience. Um, got in a little bit more in tune with my mechanics, um, trying to figure out what I do good, what I don't do well, and trying to fix that. But there was really no magic fix or anything like that. Uh, I kind of just built upon it, got a little bit more experience, felt a little bit more comfortable swinging. And, and that's kind of where that year came from. And then the summer was amazing, just playing around the best competition in the world. It was great. Um, the Cape was super fun. And then USA, obviously playing for your country and getting to compete against people from different parts of the world was amazing. And those guys are super cool in touch with a lot of them today. So overall, it was just, it was an amazing year. What are you looking to build on to take another step this year, JJ? And I mean, one of the big things, I guess, is you're moving from second base to shortstop, which, you know, would be a boon to your team also could help boost your draft stock even further. But what are you looking to work on as a junior and how's that transition to shortstop going? Yeah, I mean, shortstop's going well. That's probably the biggest area of emphasis, obviously. Um, you know, if I can put a similar season to last year hitting wise, it would be amazing. And, and really it's just the defensive stuff, you know, going to short can be a tough, tough challenge, but, uh, I'm ready for it. We've been working really hard. So that's something I'm excited to do. That's been the main area of emphasis. And then, you know, offensively is just being a little bit more consistent, um, whether it's through, you know, hitting the ball harder, maybe not necessarily like having hitting 500 or something like that, but just more consistent barrels on certain pitches, maybe that I didn't do as well off last year. Uh, that'll show some growth. Um, you know, being more comfortable in the bigger moments, year three, you can kind of even build off of that experience that I was talking about from freshman year. So that's something that I can find a way to be a little bit more comfortable in certain situations like that. And then uh, the biggest focus, too, is honestly just leadership and helping the guys out, um, some of the younger guys that are here and even some of the transfers that we got that are into the program, just showing them the ropes and trying to get them fully bought in so we can have a good year and make a pretty good run. 
You've uh, you've mentioned some of your advanced metrics uh, a couple times. I want to ask you about some some straight stats. Uh, do you know how close you were to Victor Scott's single season uh, West Virginia Steels record last year? Uh, I I would say within like five, four or five, something like that. Okay, so not something that you were closely paying attention to. I mean, I thought maybe there was a, a, a friendly rivalry there. We we talked to him. We had him on the podcast and. Uh, I, I don't know if you happened to follow his uh, stolen base chase in the minor leagues this year, but he was he was very into that race, and I wondered whether that uh, translated between the two of you and a, and a school record there. Uh, That's funny. Oh, not I didn't know actually. Yeah, yeah you were. Uh, it lo- looks like you were two off. He he stole thirty eight, wow. and you had thirty six last year. Um, yeah, sounds yeah. right. And I, I saw that you also tied two school records, which I thought was interesting that you you tied both. You had 101 hits, which tied record set by Tyler Kuhn in 2008, and then total bases, 177, which tied Jed Jerko in uh, 2010. So coming up right up right up on a couple of uh, school marks last year. Um, outside of uh, your your college experience, you you mentioned Team USA and playing for your country. Um, it sounds like that was really one of the highlights of your career so far. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, showing up there, it's, it's pretty cool because you get the invite, but it doesn't really mean you're on the team. There's still like a tryout you have to go through. Um, so that was cool. It was like a four or five game tryout. We're basically playing inter-squads against each other. And that's great. It's your first exposure um, kind of to that level of competition on such a consistent basis. You're getting the best dudes from, you know, every school out there. Um, and it, it's cool for the hitters too because you, like you don't have the scouting reports that you usually get from like your hitting coaches, and there's no preparation. It's it's pretty much just here comes a dude there 96, 98 with three plus pitches and knows how to compete and attack you, and good luck. Um, so it's it's cool. It's a challenge as a hitter. Kind of just got to get into the box. It takes you back to like travel days in high school where you don't know who they're gonna roll out, but you see them and you get those little warm up pitches, time them up on deck, and then go to work. So. It was, it was awesome from that area, just challenging yourself and finding ways to get better. Um, and then just kind of like the brotherhood that we all built, it was it was really cool. Like we, we all kind of knew who most of each other were, but obviously didn't really know each other that well. And then through the four weeks or so that we were there, it's like the friendships just elevated. And a lot of us still talk today. We still have a group chat that um, we'll type stuff in every once in a while, but it's just great. The friendships were awesome. Um, the, the staff there took amazing care of us. And then too, honestly, the, the funniest part was bonding with the – the Japanese and Chinese Taipei kids and you know most of them didn't really speak English so we were Google translating and stuff saying some funny stuff through through languages like that getting some laughs playing some uh some games that they played over there and games that we play here ping pong battles stuff like that just hanging out with dudes you know from across the country is super cool so that that was awesome and it was just a really great experience is there a, a part also JJ I mean you know of these guys and then you get to see them in action are you sizing up the competition and i know like you're going to put the draft out of your mind and it's going to take care of itself and and all those kind of things but is there any part of you like especially because like this draft class our top 100 you know nine of the top 10 are are college hitters and uh like so that's clearly the strength of the class you're part of that strength are you let's sort of noticing like all right this guy does you know this really well this guy does this really well like kind of sizing them up a little bit i mean it's obviously competition, but I, I don't know if I was really looking at it too much in that, especially at that point, just because we're kind of focusing on trying to beat other countries. So that's the main focus is like we're all teammates. We're just trying to get better. Um, but the cool part that you get to see is kind of just you got to hold yourself accountable because you get to see like how these guys are working. 
um, how much time they put into it, you know, their, their knowledge level. So that's a cool spot that kind of just keeps you accountable. And like, you know, maybe you do have to take that extra step, but um, it, it, you know, it's, it's great because you could learn something from all the guys too. Um, so, I mean, like at the end of the day, it is competition, but for the most part, it was kind of like we're just teammates. We're trying to go to war together and win some games. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the area that I kept it at. JJ, I always like to try to turn players into scouts. I was going to ask you about the USA baseball experience too, just from the standpoint of which hitter and which pitcher impressed you the most, and then maybe which player do you think flies under the radar a little bit that shouldn't, that you, you thought was like, man, this guy's better than the hype he receives? Yeah, um, it's, it's tough just because everyone is so good, but I think somebody who I like didn't actually – I didn't even know his name – um, it's Ryan Johnson from Dallas Baptist. So he's a pitcher, super funky motion. Um, he was really, really good. So he was, I didn't get to face him, but I just got to watch him and watch him kind of work is he's kind of, kind of crazy out on the mound. Like he's in his element, uh, probably hearing some voices, but, um, he was carving. So that, that was really cool to watch and fun to watch. So he's probably the pitcher and then the hitter and flies under the radar is probably the same for me. It's Griff O'Farrell from, uh, UVA. I think he was just, I didn't, once again, I didn't really know who he was. Um, and just talking through him and watching him play, I mean, the dude just barreled everything, got so many hits, played great defense. Um, and I think he has been getting some more respect that he deserves, but, I mean, he's he's one of the best players I've played around. So it was, it was really cool to get along with him and see him work. We are talking to J.J. Weatherholt of West Virginia, the number one draft prospect in the 2024 class. Uh, J.J., I know Jonathan wants to talk Pittsburgh with you. Uh, so uh, let's let's test Jonathan's uh, Pittsburgh um, baseball knowledge here, or is Pittsburgh high school knowledge. Mars High School, where, where J.J. went to school, do you either of you guys, Jonathan or Jim, know what their mascot is? Perhaps, perhaps the best it. high school mascot I, I, I've ever seen. It, I do not. Jim I'll saw give it. Jonathan a clue because I was looking at it on. I, I was looking at a USA Baseball story on on JJ, and it's 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 the fighting somethings that you would not necessarily think would be fighting. Does that help you at all, Jonathan? <laughs> uh, Mars no. fighting blank. I, I don't, I don't, the fighting Yinzers. <laughs> a, a pretty good guess, but no. I think Yinzers are more likely to fight than, yeah, that's pla- than planets. That's the Mars guy. fighting planets. That's outstanding. Yep, I see. That's you true. went right, they really lean into the Mars part. I get it. Absolutely. You got to. Um, go planets. I mean, is that, <laughs> that was a weird thing. Yeah, cool, um, cool story. Uh, my lacrosse team that we grew up, it was different. We were the alien attack. So the Mars alien attack. The Mars fighting planets. Outstanding. I, I like the I like the theme from from out yeah. from from out that way. I live in the city, so I guess it's a, it's a different. And JJ, you know what it's like here, right? Like people think you need a passport to cross a bridge or go through a tunnel. Yeah. Um. So I was speaking of yins. Like I don't detect much. You don't have a you don't have an accent. Is yin something that you've you've had to sort of keep out of your vocabulary? Do you like folding it in? Where where do you stand on on the yins debate? I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big user of the yin's word. Um, I, I I use y'all, so that's kind of it. Um, that's that's it. But I mean, I hear people that use it. It's it's kind of cool, but I never really got to it. Right. I mean, yin's and y'all, I think, are cousins. Really, I mean, it's yeah. the same. It's the same word. French fries, always on a sandwich, only on a sandwich. And what do you think about fries on a salad? 
Yeah, so um, I only get fries on permani sandwiches, kind of how they come. That's the only time I'll do that, which is amazing. What's your and order? Then I usually just go with the Capicola, mm-hmm. keep it simple. And then my mom will get fries on her salad a lot, and sometimes I'll eat the fries. But most times when I get salad, I like chicken Caesar salads. That's kind of my big, big thing. Um, and so we don't usually throw fries on that. But I'm not opposed to it, and I know a lot of people really like it. Uh, and Jim, you'll appreciate this one. True or false, you would be a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky. Better be true. <laughs> no, it's, Jim's it's, a big Steelers fan. It's definitely false. I actually am terrible at throwing the football of all things, which is, so is it Mitch. really doesn't correlate. So is Mitch, um, AJ. And like the thing, I'm not, I won't go out, like, I never thought I'd say this. I'm actually looking forward to Mason Rudolph playing in the next Steelers game. I, I cannot stand Every time Mitch Trubisky makes a terrible throw, he has this dumbfounded look like he can't believe he made a terrible throw. <laughs> yeah. And that's like all you do, Mitch. Like, why does it surprise you? You're terrible. Anyway. Yeah. This is why I, we I didn't get you, Jim man. going on the uh, le- and on the period between the and between the letters. Right. My, my no, oldest son is AJ. You got to rate him in. Put the periods in there. So <laughs> that's fine. All right, JJ. Wax eloquent about your Steelers fandom for a minute is really what I was trying to set you up for. Well, this is going to be a shocker to you, bro, but uh, I'm actually a Ravens fan. Oh, God. Can you believe oh, yeah. We're down here. Yeah. We're moving you down 10 spots on our top 100 at least now. Born in yeah, Baltimore, so guys. Come on. That? Born in yeah. Baltimore. That. All right. Yeah, born in Baltimore. Family lived there for 14 years. Okay. Um, so it's it's actually an interesting fandom because um, I, I uh, am a big Pirates fan, obviously, because we grew up going to those games. Uh, Penguins fan, even though I'm not super hockey um, invested. And it's it's just the my it's it's my brother again. I'll blame him for it. He's a diehard, so I kind of took after that. Um, and it's we've been to one Steelers game, which is surprising. Um, we actually we went when we were kids, and we saw some dude puking from alcohol. So my mom was not <laughs> invested in that, so it didn't take us back. It was Jonathan but, um, Mayo. You guys didn't know it, 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 Wow. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. So that's that's the big shocker is. The Pittsburgh kid, the kid who likes the Ravens, but um, we'll bury that part in the podcast. Uh, we don't yeah, want you to get too much hate mail. Yeah, <laughs> we may have to edit that part out because I, uh, I cannot believe my ears. Right, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I, from... could, I couldn't lie to you about my no. I, we appreciate your there. candor. I'm not from here originally, but you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, you move here, and after a certain, I've been here 22 years, you, you kind of get indoctrinated. Uh, I hear you. Uh, but it, it it makes sense why JJ was like. Giving kudos to Mitch Trubisky, like he he wants Mitch Trubisky. I want him to do that. Yeah, he want, well, you, know, you want him to be Steelers quarterback. As long as possible. I, I smile when I see him go like this. No, I no, I hate that. Anyway, uh, I will recover here. I'll, I'll switch it back to baseball, even though I'm I'm irate right now. But um, I was just curious, you know, as, as a prospect who's going into the draft, did you pay attention to the draft lottery at all? Were you were you curious to see who was going to get the picks, or did you just find out after the fact? Or do you even know? Do you yeah. know who has the number one pick right now? I know I, it's the Guardians and then the Reds. Yeah, and that's all I know. Okay. Um, and I know that because they were not supposed to. It was not supposed to be in that order, right. according to the percentages. Um, no, but I, I didn't really pay attention to it. I saw it obviously everywhere on Instagram and stuff, but um, I didn't like tune in or like count down. Like, oh, here's the lottery. No, I didn't really know. But it was it was funny just because um, it was like what they had a two percent chance. Is that right? Something like that. That yeah, I, I think five thousand to one that it would wind up one two. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I just think that's not a crazy numbers guy, but it doesn't sound right. So I mean, that's that's pretty cool. 
Well, JJ, uh, I know you'll be you'll be paying more attention when the draft comes around and uh, seeing where your name uh, pops up toward the top of that list. So uh, it's number one on on our list of the top 100 draft prospects. We appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us today. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you, guys. That is J.J. Weatherholt of West Virginia, number one draft prospect in this year's class. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the inaugural spring breakout event and answer a question from the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Just heard from J.J. Weatherholt, outstanding baseball player, outstanding interview. Thanks to J.J. for joining us. Uh, We're going to turn our attention now from the draft to spring training, and in particular, a new part of spring training, which is called Spring Breakout. This was just announced uh, last week. Uh, The general idea is that each of the 30 teams are going to uh, put together a roster of their top prospects and uh, they're all going to play each other. Uh, In this initial iteration, each organization will play one game. Uh, Two organizations will play two because there will be games played at the spring training venues uh, between March 14th and 17th. And so there are 15 teams, obviously, in Florida and 15 in Arizona. So they need an even number of uh, teams to play the games. So two teams play twice. But this is uh, this is a, a, a prospect hound's dream, really. If you want to see as many of the top prospects in baseball as you can in one fell swoop, you'll, uh, you'll want to pay attention to this, perhaps even get yourself to uh, Florida or Arizona, which I guess Arizona would probably be a little easier to take in as many of these games as possible. Uh, but guys, uh, your your thoughts on this uh, new MLB event? Well, first, I want my thought. First thought is you're a little modest there, Jason, because I'm going to give you a little credit here. This was your brainchild, right? Like you kind of spearheaded this. Did you ever think this was? I mean, it was part of a content con where MLB solicits ideas and you and your team, I mean, this was kind of your brainchild, right? Did you ever think with all the logistics that had to be cleared that we would see this happen? Take a bow. That's true. We should we should re-record uh, this segment, and I will open with, uh, hey, let's talk about my big idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well I knew you me. weren't going to say that. No, but no. One was, of us was, was going to, so Jim, I'm glad you did. No, I will, I will say that it was initially my idea, but uh, there have been a hell of a lot of people that have done a hell of a lot more work than I the, the idea was really the easy part and it, it's been uh very very impressive to watch it all come together and uh you know did I think it would happen I, I knew there were a lot of logistics involved that you know had to be considered and hurdles uh that had to be cleared and uh you know we're still several months away and the event has to be pulled off still and and uh yeah hope for it to be successful and I I think it should be great I, and the you know general response from fans seem to be 
overwhelming, nearly unanimously positive. So, uh, yeah, excited about that. And uh, all right, now now your thoughts. Well, I was going to say, so beside that, you touched on one of other things. I think you can tell how excited people are about this because usually when there's a new idea, people are like, ah, you know, like there's some mixed reaction or at least, oh, here's potential downside. Everybody who's talked to me about it or I've seen reaction on social media has been exuberant. I think I told you before it was officially announced, I was with some people at a dinner during the Arizona Fall League. And one of the people at the dinner works for a team. And she'd gotten a text about some of the logistics. And she brought up the dinner. And I was there. Two of the other people were Eric Longenhagen and Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. And I thought Eric's head was going to explode. He's like, what? What are you guys talking about? And uh, I kind of chuckled. I was like, well, I don't think this is official yet. And, uh, and he, he, Eric he's like, what? Like, like his, he couldn't comprehend. That's how cool he thought it was. Uh, he was having trouble processing the information. But no, I think it's tremendous to be able to get, I mean, to me, obviously the best part of spring training is watching prospects play and to have prospect games where you're going to have the majority of a team's best prospects on the field playing against another team the same way. Like I want to say, I think the Rangers and Padres did this a couple times and there's maybe a couple other teams that have done this type of, type of thing, but not widespread. And I'm excited I'm extremely excited about it. And then I, I just look at other events that are recent. Like I think about the combine and how much the combine has grown from year one, which I guess was 2021, just to year three and how much better it's gotten. And I'm excited that like, as excited as I am about this year, like it's just year one. I, I assume this event will continue to grow and get better. And maybe one day we'll have a, spring breakout tournament where there's a spring breakout champion, but you know, that's further down the road and that would be even cooler. But I just think it's really cool that you could go watch all the best prospects for two organizations play each other. It's like, we're going to have to clone ourselves, Jonathan. I don't like, we're, we're not gonna be able to be in all the spots we want to be at the same time on March 14th and 17th. Maybe we can do like, remember several years ago, Will Ferrell did that thing where he ran around and played like seven different spring training games in the same day. That's what we're going to have to do, field. like an inning, an inning each, just running around. We'll just have to get you guys a helicopter, which he, he had in order to do that. It is, right. The pipeline helicopter. Come on. Uh, the, I think it's rare when public opinion and industry opinion are both pointing in the same direction. And I think that speaks volumes about this idea overall even in its first iteration, and I agree with Jim, I think it's going to grow. I think, you know, the social media response has been amazing. And then even, even you know, there might be people with teams who are like, well, the, the logistics are going to be a lot. But people within front offices are really excited about this and can sort of see off into the future uh, a tournament, whether it's spring training, whether it's in and around the futures game, you know, the timing of it w- remains to be seen. But the fact that people internally see the growth potential already, and it's not just on paper, right? So I, I, I'm really, really excited for this. Uh, I mean, just like we get excited for the futures game to see this, you know, for the fall league to see this many prospects at one time. But to do it sort of in a, in a competitive format, I hope that it can grow and turn into some kind of tournament, whenever it is, you know, and those logistics will be other hurdles to clear, but let's not worry about that right now. Let's just celebrate, you know, that this idea is coming to fruition 
and we're gonna we're gonna get to benefit from seeing it all unfold. Yeah, so let's talk about you know what we are going to see, and obviously at this point we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, which players specifically we're going to see, uh, but the idea is that each organization will field a, a roster of twenty to twenty five of its top prospects. Um, there will be eight games in Arizona, eight in Florida. There are two games uh, on Thursday, March 14th, uh, one in Arizona, one in Florida. There are five on Friday the 15th, six on Saturday the 16th, and then three on Sunday the 17th. And uh, we've had a chance to go through, look at the schedule, and we've put together some highlights. Definitely uh, get to MLB.com slash pipeline to check those out. We have uh, a breakdown of both the best matchups on a team-by-team basis just kind of looking at which teams have the best farm systems that are that are matching up and also some of the really great individual prospect matchups that you could see and uh number one on both of those lists guys is uh this orioles pirates matchup on day one uh that could be a real doozy could doozy is that fair doozy doozy yeah that's another technical uh another technical term I, i mean I'm hoping that the the powers that be, you know, with the Pirates make sure Paul Skeens pitches in this game. Uh, I think they should be able to arrange that. And I don't know, just have Holiday hit leadoff. So right out of the gate, you get that, that matchup. The thing that's great, because both systems are so deep, that even if Skeens just comes in and throws an inning and you see him face Holiday, you're going to get some pretty good matchups after that. I mean, keep in mind, you know, how deep the... Orioles system is, uh, you know, Samuel Basayo, Colton Kalzer, Heston Kerstad. I mean, any of these guys are still prospects. I mean, the, the, their list goes on and on. Tamar Johnson for the Pirates. I mean, that's going to be an exciting game from start to finish because of the depth of both systems, starting with that marquee matchup. You know, if I'm if I'm marketing spring breakout, I have Paul Skeens. And and Jackson Holiday, like on every poster everywhere, even beyond that game, just because that's to me, uh, you know, and, and Jason, you're the you're the architect. Right. But I would imagine like that's exactly what you were thinking of and all of us were thinking of when the idea first came up as to what this could look like. And we're getting it right out of the gate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, last year toward the end of the season, I remember how excited we were all getting about the possibility of seeing. Uh, Skeens versus Dylan Cruz, number one versus number two, which uh, Skeens got shut down shortly before that would have happened, unfortunately. But here, the two most recent number one overall prospects, uh, potentially and hopefully squaring off to get this thing started, would be obviously outstanding. Uh, Jim, how about a a matchup uh, that excites you, whether it's uh, team versus team level or prospect versus prospect? You know, I, 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 it's the individual matchups that are really exciting to me. I, I think you've got, you know, the, the all-Chicago game, Cubs-White Sox. You have two prospects. We have ranked pretty highly on our list, but I think are still a little bit underrated in terms of fan perception of, like, I think Colson Montgomery, who's had some injuries the last couple of years, so he hasn't put up monster numbers in full seasons. I think Colson Montgomery could be, you know, we, we'll all make the comparison. He could be the next Corey Seager. That comparison keeps getting made. And then you guys know I love Cade Horton, who I haven't counted. Is Cade the second highest ranked pitcher on our top 100 now? I think he might be behind Skeens. Um, no, maybe third behind Kyle Harrison. In any case, 
that's one of the best hitter pitcher matchups there too. And you got the Chicago rivalry. That one's exciting. And then, you know, we were, we've been talking about how loaded last year's draft class was on this podcast. You have Wyatt Lankford who and we keep saying, even though he was the fourth pick might wind up being the best player in the long run. I mean, he's that talented going against the second pitcher taken last year and Rhett Louder of Wake Forest, who's on the Reds and you've, you, we've got a Rangers Reds matchup. So that, I think that's going to be a, a cool, a cool matchup as well. I mean, you, you could go on and on. There's so many. I mean, Jonathan, you were talking about all the Orioles hitters. I think you do our Pirates list. What are 10 of their top 12 prospects on that list? Pitchers, you know, Solomito and Bubba Chandler, it's Jared Jones. Yeah, like, they've got some good arms. Even after, like, I assume Skeens is like, these guys are probably pitching an inning, maybe two tops. The Pirates could pretty much run out top pitcher after top pitcher after top pitcher. I mean, I don't know if they'll have them all lined up to go on the same day, but, you know, on paper, they could run out nine innings of quality pitching prospects, too. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, Andrew Painter is a spot ahead of Kate Horton as of right now. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a fourth, yeah. but yeah. Uh, at, yeah, fourth, but still, to your point, very good. And the one other one, although not pitcher versus catcher, but uh, I like the uh, the Padres, Mariners, uh, Ethan Salas and Harry Ford, you know, two of the, the best young catching prospects in the game and in the game at the at the same time. That's going to be a, a fun one to watch in Peoria. They'll do big ratings in Great Britain as well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, so obviously plenty more to come over the months. We're still uh, months away, a little under three months away from that. Um, but we'll be talking about that quite a bit between now and then. And I should mention, you can go to MLB.com slash spring breakout to get all the information you need about spring breakout. All right, let's answer a question from the mailbag. This comes from Angel Manon1 on Twitter. Uh says... Where would you put Yamamoto if he qualified for the top 100 prospects list? And I guess we should explain why he does not qualify for the top 100 list. Well, the the rules that we use are the same rules uh, that are used for international free agent signings. Uh, And because of the amount of time that he spent pitching you know in japan at the highest level and the fact that he's 25 uh, he would not be part of any team's uh bonus pool uh which is why you're hearing the large sums of money uh, if, if 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 he had to be beholden to a bonus pool no one would be talking about hundreds of millions of dollars for him so he will not be on any of our lists. Now, that said, he will come in and automatically be a rookie of the year candidate because that's different. Um, but he uh that that's why that's why you won't see him on a prospect list. Okay, and now now to the actual question. Where would he rank on the top 100 prospects list if he were eligible? So for me, I mean I'm looking at our existing list which will change. I could not – you just heard me rave a little bit about Wyatt Lankford. Yamamoto's tremendous prospect – I mean, not really prospect, tremendous pitcher, I should say. He's got you know, four pitches that can all be plus. He throws a ton of strikes. But the two biggest questions I think on him are that he's not a big physical guy. And then when you come over from Japan, you're pitching once a week to every five days. But the game has changed. We're not asking anybody to pitch 250 innings anymore. For me – I would have him 
as the second best pitcher on the list behind Paul Skeens. Looking at our current list, and I think this guy will move up from where we have him right now, I couldn't put him ahead of Wyatt Langford because I think Wyatt Langford is going to be a superstar. So for me, it would be Langford's 13th right now. So if we were jamming him onto the current list, I would put him no higher than 14, and I could see maybe putting him as low as, as 18 and tucking him behind Colson Montgomery. But for me, he would be in that 14 to 18 range, and he would be the number two pitcher on the list for me. That seems low to me. I know he's not the biggest guy in the world, but the track record has been ridiculous. I know there's you know some of the translation to to come in here, uh, you know, and it's it's hard because we will redo this list. Like Wyatt Lankford is not going to be 13 when, right. we, when we redo the list. I, I so I th- I think he's a top 10 guy, and uh, you know I I agree with you. He's he would be the second pitcher but i would probably put him in that like eight to ten range somewhere and i think jonathan i think that's fair because if you look at it like if we're doing the list from scratch i agree with that i guess i was looking at our existing list because like i would take him over james wood who's number seven on our list right now it's just langford's 13th but yeah i i I think when we reconstitute this list my guess is why langford's gonna rank in the top seven and then my answer might very well be i would agree with you that I would probably put Yamamoto. Right, that's fair. Eight. We kind of looked at it from different yeah. different lenses there. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question though, um, and you really have to <laughs> uh, kind of suspend your belief in these players uh, that are on the list because Yamamoto's twenty five. The oldest player that you're talking about, kind of uh, integrating him into here is 21. Uh, every one of these guys is between the age of 17 and 21. So you have to try to project, you know, wh- what are these players in four, five, six, seven years down the road? And, you know, then how would you be making the comparison between them and Yamamoto? And and by virtue of the fact that these guys are all ranked in the top 10 to 15 prospects in baseball, you, that means, you know, we think they're going to be stars. So, uh, it, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you also take into consideration the fact that you look at what Otani and and Senga have done and how their success in Japan has translated in the big leagues, and it's been uh, fairly fairly seamless. They have been successful. So, uh, and and you know Yamamoto has been pretty much every bit as good as as those guys in Japan. So, uh, an interesting question. Thanks very much for that one, Angel and. Thanks to J.J. Weatherholt for joining us on the show today. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on, what, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.